Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, beginning at verse 16. Jesus said, To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is God's word. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you and praise you for your grace. For those of us who know Jesus as our Lord, we know that your grace has taken us from death into life. uh, Something that will last for eternity. We thank you for that. We thank you that there is fresh grace for us every day to keep living this Christian life, to grow and be changed, to become more like Christ. Now we long for that. So please, would your spirit be at work impressing the words of Jesus into our hearts so we have a greater vision of him, a greater desire to live for him so that we're changed by your grace again tonight, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, this is our last look for a while at um, at Matthew's Gospel, which we spent most of the autumn uh, in, particularly chapters 8 to 10, looking at uh, the work of Jesus Christ, or or the impact when the king arrives on the scene, uh, which is dramatic. And uh, the last couple of weeks, just in uh, chapter 11, looking at some of the responses of uh, people to him. And Jesus is not surprised how people respond. It's not always universally positive by any stretch. He's fully prepared that some will stumble over him. Do you remember, we looked at this uh, extraordinary verse to my mind uh, last week, chapter 11, verse 6, where Jesus says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Or blessed is the man who does not stumble over me, is not scandalized by me. Because I have that impact says Jesus. And uh, if, as a Christian or not, actually, the, uh, you never have that experience of reading anything of the words of Jesus and thinking, oh my goodness, is he really saying that? That's, that's completely surprising to me. If you never have that experience at all, well, you, you may not have understood what he's saying because a lot of his words are, uh, they're scandalous. That is, they, they are so upsetting to our modern culture and, and, and the, uh, the backdrop of the society we live in. And Jesus knows that. It's always the case. He's always produced that sort of response. And uh, again, tonight, we're on a similar theme. And, and Jesus is really answering the question of why it is that more people don't turn to him. 
which is useful for all of us, for those of us who are Christians, a reminder why it is that actually more people don't turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ or repent, walking away from God, but turn around and walk towards him, repentance, returning to him. Why don't more people do that? Actually, if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, I have to warn you again, Jesus is on um, combative form. Uh, His words are, uh, well, you could stumble over them, but uh, he's warned us for that, prepared us for that. So, Because essentially what he's going to say tonight is, why don't more people repent? Uh, And the answer is, actually, it's, it's stubbornness. Really? It's stubbornness is the issue thrown up by the text. Now, uh, bear with me here, Jesus out in particular. Uh, you might think, well, that's, I'm not a Christian and I'm not stubborn. Um, and okay, well, let's work through it. But, but that is the issue. And essentially in two ways. Uh, there's a stubborn rejection of the message. Uh, and then there's a stubborn rejection of the evidence, are the two issues really that the text explores, the message and the evidence. People are stubborn in the face of them. And uh, we take those two in turn. First, then, there's a stubborn rejection of the message. Verses 16 to 19. There's a lovely little illustration here that Jesus gives. What's this crowd like? To what can I compare this generation? Now, don't be sidetracked. He's not just saying the people in front of me. This generation in Jesus's language, it's always people who are resistant to him. So if you notice, if you're interested, chapter 12, verse 39, 16, verse 4, any generation which rejects Jesus is this generation, he says. So he stands up in front of this crowd and says, do you know what you're like? Do you know what you're like? You're like a load of sulking children. Hmm. Okay, well, let's have a look. Verse 16, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces And calling out to the others, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. Let me read on four. John came eating, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he's a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her children. Now, do you see the picture in Jesus' illustration? They're in the marketplace, not because these are entrepreneurial children uh, that uh, early on are sort of wheeling and dealing. It's just that, you know, it's the public square, it's the playground, it's where they play their games. And there are two groups. Group one is saying, come and play, come and play a game. And group two says, no. Uh, and group one says, look, we've got a couple of games. And uh, all the commentators agree on this. The playing the flute and dancing, that's a wedding game. And the uh, singing a dirge and mourning, that's a funeral game. Now, you might think those are odd games to play. But in one sense, they're saying, let's all get together and have a game of cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians or doctors and nurses. Uh, let's play a game of wedding. And uh, are we ready to play wedding? Yeah, okay, we'll play wedding. And uh, I'll be the groom, great. You be the bride. Not so good. Um... <laughs> And uh, you can be, you know, you parents and uh, everyone has a role. You know, it's what children do. They role play. And, uh, you, you know, you play the flute and you dance. It's a wedding game. Or on another occasion, they say, well, um, let's play funerals. Now, to our mind, that might be slightly odd. Um, you know, you go to school. What do you, what do you do today at school? We had a great game of funerals. Uh, you'd be wondering what's going on at school. But essentially, it's so common in the culture. It's such a common occurrence. 
And we like to distance ourselves, of course, from funerals and pretend they never happen. And at a younger age, you can get away with that to some extent. Um, but it's so common in the culture, so many child, uh, children dying young, that um, it's a very common thing. And again, in a funeral, different people play their different parts, different roles in the morning. So essentially, it's let's, let's have a game of role play again, wedding or funeral. Okay, so it's just two different games. But group one does all the suggesting. So group one says, should we play a game of wedding? And the others say, no. Well, okay, uh, what about the other extreme? Let's play a game of funeral. No. And Jesus says, that's you. That's you lot. That's the crowd in front of him. That's just what you're like. You need to realize what you're like in in rejecting both John and me. You're like sulking children. Should we go for a walk? No, shan't, can't, won't, don't want to, want to stay at home. It's just not very flattering, is it? That's what Jesus is saying. Then you get the the explanation, uh, which is really verses uh, 18 and 19 here. So there are two groups. There's the the wedding, there's a sort of upbeat, and the funeral, that's, I guess you'd say, downbeat. And so he says, look, that's, that's what's going on. That's what happened with my preaching and John's preaching. So John came and preached repentance, and you said, well, that's too miserable. So John, there he was out in the desert, neither eating nor drinking. And essentially, we looked at this last time if you were here, John's message was quite clear, repent. Come back to God, because the Messiah is coming and he's going to judge people. So one says it was a serious, earnest message. Jesus said, you didn't like that. But I come along, says Jesus, I come along preaching forgiveness. It's a very gracious message. And you don't like that. You say, well, that's, I don't like how liberating that is. I don't like the fact, Jesus, you're with tax collectors and sinners. People don't like the, certainly then the, the seriousness of the Christian message, but also the graciousness of the Christian message. They're both, no, I don't, don't like either of them. And I think that's very contemporary. It's very contemporary indeed. So um, uh, today, people, you know, what was John preaching? He's preaching judgment. And you hear people today, uh, okay, uh, gosh, Christianity is very negative. You, I mean, really, you believe in, you believe in a judgment? It's a bit gloomy. You think that hell's a literal place? Well, you're bonkers. You're mad. You see, that's just what they were saying about John. He's so gloomy, neither eating nor drinking. He's got a demon. He's mad. It's very contemporary criticism. And then others, uh, they don't like the, the positive side. Have you thought of it this way? But for some people, Christianity is just too, well, it's too gracious. So what is Jesus criticized for here? Well, two things, really. He's just too upbeat. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say he's a glutton and a drunkard. Oh, come on, some people will say. Religion needs to be austere, serious. You can't, can't enjoy it, for goodness sake. You have to sort of, has to be self-denial. And all the main criticism here of Jesus, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you see the people he associates with? The, the wicked of society. And again, very modern people don't like that. He has expressed it in this sort of way most commonly, isn't it? Something like this. It's always in a, uh, an emotive example. Are you saying that 
if, hypothetically, Joseph Stalin, just before he died, said, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, he could go to heaven just like that. He could have lived a wicked life all of his life and then just at the end say, well, can I, can I trust in Jesus now? That he'd be accepted just because of that. Yes. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, if anyone ever deserved punishment, if anyone ever deserved uh, a place in hell, if such a thing exists, it's him. He deserved it. Well, yeah, he, he does deserve that punishment, but um, actually the Bible would say all of us do. What, you're putting me in the same category as him? No, look, of course there are degrees, of course there are degrees. But actually, yes, the Bible says all of us have walked away, rejected God, and, and deserved... Oh, for goodness sake, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous that Joseph Stalin could be in heaven and all I have to do is say, I trust in Jesus Christ and, and believe it. And that's it. That's it. Well, that's, I don't like that. It's just too easy. Anyone could get in on that account. Awful people could get into heaven. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Awful people. I mean, like you and me. I mean, to degrees, of course, but there are levels of wickedness. We'll come to that. You see, some people, they don't like the severity of Christianity, or the, or, or the bad news, if you will, that there is a day of judgment coming. But some people just don't like the good news, <laughs> uh, that anyone can get in. Forgiveness is free. It's a gift. And Jesus' comment to them here is, you don't like either of them. That is utterly illogical. I mean, so you might not like the severity, but you might like the good, but, but you don't like either of them. That's, that makes no sense that you would do that. What's going on? You're, John is too serious. I'm too gracious. You won't repent with John. You won't rejoice with me. What is your issue? Now, he doesn't nail it, but if you've been here and looked at his conversations with uh, some of the crowd and certainly the religious authorities, the issue is very clear. They're just too stubborn. It's not the issue of, the tune isn't wrong. It's not, the problem is not a dirge or dancing. The issue is they want to dance to their own tune. How can it be that you don't like John and you don't like me? You, it's illogical to reject both of those. The issue is you just want to do it your way. You're just too stubborn. That's the underlying issue that's going on here. Now, I did some research on this this week. Uh, Wednesday afternoon is always uh, the day of the week I uh, uh, pick up my son from school. So I went along and uh, picked up the, um, at school at uh, 3.30. And normally what happens if the weather is fine, there's a sort of big garden. Uh, it's slightly wild with all sorts of things running around. And all the parents pick up and uh, take their children to this uh, garden. And all the parents to have a nice chat. And Lord of the Flies goes on in the background. Uh, <laughs> until someone comes with his eye on a stick and says there's a problem here. And, you know, it's all, it's all um, but uh, uh, this week I decided to engage uh, with what was going on and sort of sidled up and uh, uh, listened into one of their games. And uh, the game this week, you know, one of the suggestions was, um, should we play Star Wars, not funerals? Um, should we play Star Wars, which if you didn't realize is back in fashion again because there's a cartoon on TV. Um, should we play Star Wars, which is very pleasing if you're of the generation where you enjoyed it the first time round and you can play with the toys again. The, um, <laughs> but uh, apparently. The, um, so the, should, we, should we play Star Wars? No. No, says one boy, Sid. No. 
They want to play Star Wars. The others, but we always play Star Wars. And you love Star Wars. What's your problem? Want to play Transformers. What do you... You've never even seen it. What is it? None of us know what it is. But I want to do that. But you love Star Wars. Sid, why don't you want to play Star Wars? I only like it if I'm in charge. Which was minuted in my notebook. Uh, but that is, that's, that's in all of our hearts. That's in all of our hearts. We say to Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't want to repent with John. I don't want to rejoice with you. Not because they're bad. Not because, I, because I want to do my own thing. I don't want to go with either of those. Just too stubborn to go in either of these directions. Very striking, says Jesus. So stop sulking like a child, he says. Come to me. Repent of your sins. Know the joy of forgiveness. You'll love it. Stop being stubborn, he says. So there's a uh, uh, stubborn rejection of the message. Second thing there, verses uh, 20 to 24, there's a stubborn rejection of the evidence. Verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Now stop there for a moment. He's about to denounce three cities in which an enormous number of his miracles had been performed because they didn't put their faith in him. Now that, before we move on, that in and of itself is very striking. He says to them, you, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, you have seen an enormous amount of miracles and you haven't believed. You've seen the evidence in front of your eyes, but you do not believe. Now that's striking because often people will say to you, won't they? Uh, they say to me, why can't God make it obvious? If Jesus came here tonight and did a miracle tonight, then, well, then I'd believe. And Jesus says, well, look, I did an enormous number of miracles uh, Bethsaida, feeding of the 5,000, he healing of the blind man. Most of the miracles we've looked at in chapters 8 to 10 are in Capernaum. Raising the dead, healing at a distance. Again, healing blindness, deafness, paralysis. Those are all in Capernaum. Now, Jesus said, you've seen the evidence and you don't believe. Because often, often the issue is not the lack of evidence. The evidence is all there. But there's something else going on. When we come to think about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith, our hearts are not neutral. We don't come with an open mind thinking, oh, I wonder if it's true or if it's not. Our natural inclination is to think, no, that's probably not true. It's probably not true. And actually, it's far more convenient if it isn't true, because my life doesn't have to change. We're not neutral. Jesus, I've performed an enormous number of miracles in front of you. You still don't believe. It's not the lack of evidence. And today, maybe for your friends, but maybe you, it's not the lack of evidence. Now, you might be in a position where you haven't investigated the evidence. Okay, that's, that's a different, different situation. Please do come along to Christianity Explored on a Wednesday night, and we can go through the evidence and, and hear your questions. We love to do that, love to do that. But if you've looked at the evidence and said, no, it's not enough, well, Jesus is saying, Really? Is that the issue? 
Is that, what's, is that what is going on here? Once it's much like a cigarette packet, um, which, uh, well done you. I asked the smokers that I mostly know about beforehand, have you got any cigarettes on you? No, I'm trying to give up, trying to give up. So lots of people are trying to give up, so well done. Um, that's a good thing. But obviously on a packet of cigarettes now, there's a whopping great, imagine, uh, there's a whopping great warning. I mean, it's not, it's not subtle, is it? Smoking may kill. I mean, it's pretty full on. The ev- and evidence is, there's a warning, and evidence is, is out there. It'll damage you. But what do people do? They say, well, well, I like it. Well, Uncle Bert, he smoked 70 a day and died aged 95. It never did Uncle Bert any harm. Yeah, that's not a, it's not the lack of evidence that smoking does. There's an obvious link with, with lung cancer in particular. It's not there's a lack of evidence. It's not there's a reason argument going on. It's just an addiction. And Jesus is saying, that's the issue. It's not there's a lack of evidence that I am who I say I am. It's not that there are reasonable arguments against me. The issue is, there's an addiction to the way you're living. It's a striking point he's making. Now, his main implication then is... uh, Well, it comes in verses 20 to 24, repent. Strong words, these, repent, he's saying. That's the main implication. Will you stop walking away from me? Will you turn around and come back to me? Place your faith in me. Trust that I have died for you and live with me as your king. You need to repent. And uh, he gives these two examples. You get the same pattern uh, a couple of times here. Do you see it with these? You get um, the warning the explanation and the comparison. You get it twice with uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida, 21 and 22, and then you get the same pattern with Capernaum. Let me just uh, read through it. So there's a warning. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Explanation. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. comparison but i tell you it'll be more bearable for tyre and sidon on the day of judgment than for you so again we don't know much about Chorazin actually but bethsaida quarter of the disciples have come from there jesus performed all sorts of great miracles there and of course even the ones we have in the new testament you read john's gospel and he says look we haven't recorded hardly any of the miracles that jesus did if we recorded all the miracles there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world for it there's just a little taster going on so yeah there are lots of miracles being performed here and yet jesus says come the day of judgment it'll be you haven't repented and it'll be worse for you than for tyre and sidon and you think most of us think "Ooh, tyre and sidon we probably don't get that do we but uh, back in the old testament tyre and sidon they are two great trading cities they do lots of trade with god's people israel Uh, the book of ezekiel in particular has three chapters going at them for they are uh, particularly corrupt particularly idolatrous. Um, So Jesus says here, look, woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida. You've seen all my miracles. You've not accepted them. It'll be worse for you than for a bunch of utterly idolatrous, corrupt pagans. Gosh. Same cycle again, uh, verses 23 and 24. 
What about you, Capernaum? You reckon you're, you reckon you're something, don't you? You expect to be lifted up to the skies? No, no. You have seen an enormous amount of miracles just in the last three chapters. Uh, we've been reading of them. But it'll be worse for you than for Sodom, which actually most of, most of the Bible is, is essentially a byword for utter wickedness. You go back and uh, read of uh, the activity in Sodom in the book of Genesis. It is wicked. In particular, it's highlighted their, uh, their rape of men and women. And yet Jesus can say here, for you, Capernaum, you're very posh and you're very polite listening to me. But it'll be worse for you on the day of judgment than it will for a bunch of rapists. Now, that is obviously strong language Jesus is using. Let me make just a couple of comments on um, the degree of punishment and then, uh, I guess, its severity. The first, then, the degree of punishment. Jesus is saying here that on the day of judgment, it'll be worse for some than others. Even those who God rejects, there are degrees of how awful that will be. And that is based upon knowledge or, better, opportunity. See, Jesus can preach to Capernaum, Bethsaida here, and say, you are seeing God in human flesh and you are rejecting God. Well, Sodom back then, they didn't get to see that much. Yes, in one sense, their, their activity was more obviously wicked than perhaps yours is. But you, have, you are more reprehensible because you've had much more opportunity, greater severity for you, Capernaum, because of the greater opportunity you've had to reply, respond. Let me try and uh, explain that a little bit. Uh, imagine you're called for jury service. You're called for jury service and you're on a jury. And uh, there's, it's a criminal case and there's a young man uh, on trial. And um, he is innocent, by the way. Let me... Uh, Get, get that out of the way at the beginning. He's innocent. Two scenarios then. The, uh, the case is presented. And uh, the, the evidence is fairly, fairly balanced. Fairly balanced. But um, overall, the jury, you know, you hack it out in the jury room afterwards. And you think, well, balance of probabilities, yes. I think he's probably guilty. Beyond all reasonable doubt, well, it's tricky, isn't it? Tricky, tricky. But eventually, after days of deliberation, the jury say, well, it's a hard decision, this one. But... Yes, sire, judge, guilty. We find the man guilty. Now, they're wrong, but it was 50-50, it was you know. It was a tough decision to make. Scenario two, uh, in the courtroom, and uh, the evidence uh, for this man is appalling, and the prosecuting barrister is basically embarrassed. Uh, I'm, I'm here to try this case today, but I really don't know why. The bloke is obviously innocent, and it's just a shambles. The evidence against him is, is pathetic. Uh, the judge is clearly irritated that this thing's ever come to court. The man is obviously innocent. So you go to the jury room, and you deliberate. He's innocent, isn't he? Yeah, he's innocent. We all agree. Do you like him? He's very rich and posh and successful. Let's teach him a lesson. Let's say he's guilty. And so knowing that he's guilty, sorry, knowing that he's innocent, the verdict is replied guilty. Now, two scenarios, do you see there? In the first one, the evidence, well, you know, it, it was a tough call. And if you met the man who'd been sent to prison and uh, later on he's exonerated, you say, I'm, I'm terribly sorry. You see, well, it was a difficult decision. Obviously, I'm not very happy, but 
I understand. I understand where you went wrong. It was a difficult decision there. Second scenario, man exonerated. You meet him. What were you doing? What were you doing? The evidence was striking you in the face. There was no way you could have found me guilty. What on earth were you doing? You're utterly reprehensible for that decision. There are degrees of culpability depending upon opportunity or understanding. Now, let me be careful. Let me say one thing very clearly. The, the Bible says very clearly, page, to, page after page, every single person without exception who's ever lived on this planet has had enough knowledge to respond to God. And no one does so rightly. So no one is innocent. All are guilty. And yet, within that verdict, there are degrees of culpability. There is greater severity for those who've had more opportunity. There are degrees of punishment. Second little thing. What about, what about the severity? I mean, it's full on, isn't it? Jesus' language, what? The punishment for Capernaum and, and, and Bethsaida, worse than rapists, worse than a corrupt, idolatrous businessman, really? How, how does that work? I mean, do you see why Jesus says, look, some people will stumble over me. Some people will not like what I have to say. It's just going on here. What about the severity of punishment? Well, try and think of it this way. Uh, imagine your next door neighbor. You meet him and uh, he is a lovely man as far as you can tell. He has three lovely dogs, um, not sort of celebrity dogs, nice dogs, uh, impressive Labradors, three Labradors. And whenever you see him with his dogs, there's clearly an enormous bond of affection between them. They're very playful. They're well-behaved dogs. And he's in their little treats, but they're clearly healthy. He loves his dogs, takes them to work with him every day, has you know, a strong bond with his dogs. And you think, he's a nice man. He's a nice man. Look how he treats his dogs. Lovely. I don't like dogs, but even, you know, he's a lovely man. What about you then discover, actually, he's abusing his wife? Repeatedly. Never seen the wife. He's married, never seen her. That's because he's got her locked up and he's abusing her. Is he a nice man? At that point, we don't think so. Because... Most people would say, well, look, you've got to treat both well. You've got to treat the dog and, and the wife. You, you need to treat both of them. And actually, most people would think, actually, the wife, that matters more. It matters more how you treat a human being. Most would feel that way. There are higher order of being, you know, a dog and a, and a human. So we're a bit outraged by that. But if that, if that is true, dog wife, God, creator, the one who formed you, gave you everything, every gift, every talent you have. So to treat other people nicely, that's good, but then to abuse God, push him out altogether, well, that's, that's outrageous. Now, we may not feel that because we don't see it happening in front of our eyes. We don't see the pain we cause to God. We don't see the abuse of him. But logically, that's how it is. So rejecting him is serious. And rejecting him where you have great 
opportunity presented in front of you. That's very serious. So Jesus says, repent. Look, woe to you, London, with the opportunities you've had over centuries and not responded. It'll be worse for you than for Sodom. For Tyre and Sidon, woe to you. Now, three little, um, three little uh, conclusion. Let me push it in three different ways. First, uh, as we finish, I guess that, of course, there'll be some here tonight who think, oh, my goodness, you, you must be joking. Uh, that's just uh, deeply unreasonable. I've never heard enough. I've just come along. Good, my first time tonight. Or I, I went along on a Wednesday night to Christianity Explored. They were nice. You? What are you? I can't, you know, I'm never coming here again. Well, hold on. Jesus is not necessarily saying to you at the moment you're being very stubborn. If you've never looked really at any detail at the essential message of the Christian faith, that all of us are sinful, need to repent. But there is a way back, free forgiveness in Jesus Christ. If you've never understood that, if you've never looked at the evidence, well, do that. Jesus wouldn't necessarily be accusing you of being stubborn if you've not done that. Okay, so there'll be some here probably in that camp. And my encouragement would be, take, the, take time. Keep looking, keep investigating the Christian faith. Do do that. Second, there may be some here tonight who you have been been knocking these ideas around for a while. I've been looking at the person of Jesus Christ. I've heard much of what we've looked at in Matthew's gospel over the last few weeks. Is Jesus diagnosing you here? Do you want to dance to your own tune? You find the evidence, well, you know. Is that you? I have one friend, Johnny, who... um, we bash these things around every so often. And uh, he said to me in the past, Matt, the only reason I'm not a Christian is because I'm not certain of the evidence for the, uh, for the Bible. I'm just not certain there's enough evidence to, that I want to build my life uh, upon uh, this book. I'm, I'm not sure. Really, Johnny, what, what is it you don't like about it? Or what are you uncertain about? Well, if I'm honest, I've actually got quite a good answer for everything question I've asked. So if I'm honest, that's just a smokescreen. And the issue is, I don't want to become a Christian. That's the issue beneath the issue for him. That might be you. That might be you. Third and last, last little thing. For those of us who are Christians and and have been a Christian a while, I guess things are slightly different for us. I mean, this is, of course, helpful to understand why it is that people may not uh, respond rightly. But still, within the heart of us as Christians, there is, of course, the desire not to dance to Jesus' tune. We still, to a certain extent, okay, we've fundamentally repented and are following him, but we still want to, you know, there's just the odd issue where we think, I could run my own life better. I'm sure that's true. And Jesus says to me and to you, he certainly says to me, you can't dance and you can't sing, what are you trying to do? Follow me. Um, (laughs) But... He says, what do, you, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? Why would you want to assert your independence? Come and dance with me. Come and sing with me. Once you've just got beyond your stubbornness, you'll realize it is the greatest place there is to be. 
So what is, you know, for those of us, what are we, there may be an issue we're just holding on to. Just don't really want to give over. Just, we just want to cling to independence. We're not certain Jesus knows the best thing for us. No, 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 he says. Don't dance to your own tune. Follow me. Trust me. Stop sulking like a child and follow me. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, you know our hearts instinctively. We are, are proud and these are strong and clear words of Jesus Christ and we find them uh, upsetting, um, offensive uh, to us. Would you help us be honest? Would your spirit convict our hearts where it is we're simply being stubborn? It's not that there's anything wrong with the message. It's not that there's a lack of evidence. It's just our own independence that we're insisting upon. Would you help us discern that in our own hearts, repent of it, and throw ourselves upon you? Amen. Can I just say, the, um, these are strong words of uh, Jesus's, I think, here, at the end of, um, or near the end of chapter 11. Uh, if you've got an issue, do come, and, uh, do come and find me afterwards. I'll be lurking at the front um, uh, come uh, ask a question or uh, the person you're with. There's always some folk at the front uh, willing to pray and uh, chat. Um, don't go away irritated. Come and discuss it through so we can get some answers together.